Welcome to Vertical Church. For those of you who do not know me, my name is Jeremy Hartman. I am student pastor here, which means I'm the one that, you know, just kind of gets you from the, to the next week until the real pastor comes back. Uh, and I just, I babysit kids is, is what I do on a, on a weekly basis. Um, so, no, for real, I'm so thankful that you guys are here. Uh, and if you have never been a part of what is going on here, I can truly say with a genuine heart that God is on the move here at Vertical Church. We, we tell our life group all the time, and we tell other people who, you know, we're sharing about Vertical, that Emily and I really hated the idea of coming here at the beginning. Uh, we told David this, so it's not like any, any surprise to him. that uh, we, we did not want to be here. Um, we wanted to hate it. We wanted to, uh, and if we were going to come, we were just going to come and just sit. And I think I'm, my wife is still a little bit upset that I'm actually now leading uh, a student, she's like, just take a break, like, just come on, uh, but to see God work in ways that I've never seen in, in a church before is evidence of, of his glory, uh, and if you're not a part of something like that, we, we implore you to, to see God and see his glory, and that's actually something that we're going to be talking about this morning, the name of Yahweh, you know, we hear it a lot of times, and we see it a lot of times, and uh, there, there's, a, there's a sad reality that thousands, if not millions, of Christ followers or those who call themselves Christians will, will go through their entire lives without ever understanding the depths of who God is. You know, say, we'll read about it a lot, we'll talk a lot about it a lot, but we'll never truly understand. Because there's a lot in a name. A name describes who someone is. A name gives someone personality. You know, you talk about it a lot of time, like, Oh, that person is definitely a Jeremy. They definitely act like a Jeremy. Or that person is like, they're deep. They're, they're def, like, they definitely live up to the name David. Or we, we, we talk about the name a lot. But for some reason, when, when, we, when we talk about the name of God, it's like, oh, Yahweh, I've heard that name before. You know, and like, oh, Jesus. You know, it's, it's, it's just a name. But what I'm doing today is taking a lifetime of study, a lifetime of depth, and compacting it to hopefully 45 minutes, if not three hours. I haven't decided how long I'm going uh, today yet. We got time. We've got coffee in the back if you need it. Um, but I promise you two things. One, I'm not going to water it down just because there's, there's kids here. Uh, if, if they're confused, be godly parents and teach them. You know, we, we've got a lifetime to teach. And the second thing I'm going to do is we're going to get to the depths of scripture, because the deeper you go in the scripture, the higher you get into the heavens. And I want to get to the depths of what God says so we can see the heights of who he is this morning. Um, I, I, want, I want to I share a quote with you this morning. This is, a, this is by a, a dead guy. Uh, it, he, he said it when he was alive. So, um, so from the 1800s, his name is Stephen Charnock. You've never heard the name before. I've never heard the name before. Uh, but one of the greatest writings of God's existence that I've ever read. You know, my, my mind doesn't get blown a lot, except for like when I'm talking to my wife and I'm trying to understand what emotions are. Um, <laughs> but every single sentence that I read in here was like, I just, I like, for my sermon, I might just read through the whole book and, you know, you guys just take it. But I wanted to share this, 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 this thing really stood out to me. And you got it right here. It says, it is a folly, for though God be so inaccessible that we cannot know him perfectly, yet he is so much in the light 
that we cannot be totally ignorant of him. As he cannot be comprehended, comprehended in his essence, he cannot be unknown in his existence. It is as easy by reason to understand he is as it is difficult to know what he is. Man, the power that we cannot fully know God, but we cannot be ignorant that he exists, that he is God. So let me go ahead and pray this morning because I cannot do this on my own. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Forgive, forgive me that I have not given your name the glory that it deserves, that I have not given it the recognition that it deserves, God. God, I am so lowly and you are so great. God, I need your words. I pray that if anything else happens, that you go forth above everything else. And I pray that if my words contradict yours, that you strike me down. Because in death, it is better that you be glorified than me. So, so God, give me the words. I pray that, that the very scripture that we, that we read breathes life into us because you are life. And the word is you, God. God, I thank you that you have revealed just enough so that we are not overwhelmed to the point of discouragement, but we are overwhelmed to the point of being in awe and worship your name on high. God, reveal yourself through me and in the hearts of your people, God. In whose name I pray, amen. So you guys can go ahead and be opening to Exodus chapter 3. Uh, so if, if you are in a, an actual book, it's just a few pages over right past Genesis. If you're on your phone, just click it, just click the name, you know, super quick. But I, I wanted to go over uh, just real quick some different variations that you guys will see in this passage and also uh, throughout the Old Testament. So we're, we're looking at the name Yahweh this morning. If you want to go ahead and throw up, I... Once again, I, through a lifetime of study, God's name into a, a, you know, three short sentences does not do it justice, but it gives us kind of an idea of what we're looking at today. So first, uh, in, in, the, in the Hebrew, we see the name Yahweh, or literally pronounced Chaya. Not like a ninja, like Chaya, which all I see is like just Moses going around, like talking about God. Like, Chaya loves you, Chaya, follow Chaya. No, it's, that's just not, there's a little like guttural, so like Chaya. Chaya, you can say it, one, two, three, Chaya, that's horrible. Okay, so the name Yahweh we see in scripture as I am. And you also see it uh, in our version of, of the name, you see a capital L-O-R-D. So what that is, is it's not, it's not the title of Lord, because we understand that, you know, he is our Lord, he is our Savior. But anytime you see L-O-R-D in all capital in, in, in our uh, translations, that is literally the name Yahweh. And I'll, I'll tell you how we got there. Uh, the, next, the next thing down is Adonai, which is literally the Lord my God. And the reason that they would use this, so anytime they would uh, come face to face with the name Yahweh, they revered it so much. They held it at such a high level that they did not write it or they did not speak it. 
So just saying the name Yahweh alone is probably not how it was actually pronounced. They just never spoke it. So instead, they replaced Yahweh or whatever God spoke as Adonai, the Lord my God. And we, we bring that over to our translations as writing L-O-R-D. So just know that whenever you see that in your Bible, it is literally the name of God that we'll be looking at today. And last, a lot of times we see it in the place of Yahweh, which is Jehovah. And all Jehovah is, is through years of, of translating and, you know, just trying to best proclaim the name. They come with the name Jehovah, which was, it came from the consonants of Yahweh and the vows of Adonai. So it's not wrong. It's not, it's not a bad translation. There are scholars that go back and forth to say, you know, you're, you're sinning against God for using the name Jehovah. It's only Yahweh. You know, it's, it, it still paints the same picture of our, of our big and glorious God. Uh, but I, I just wanted you guys to know that as, as you guys hear these names, as you guys read these names, that is how we get to where we are today. So Exodus chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Uh, a little bit of, of background. This is at a, at a point where uh, Moses, he, he was no longer in the, in the good standing with the king of, of Egypt. Uh, he, he has now been in the wilderness for, you know, most scholars say 40, about 40 years, uh, hiding from the king because the king wanted to kill him. So that leads us to verse 1 in chapter 3. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priests of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Hort, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out in the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush. Moses, Moses, he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their cry because, down, because of their taskmasters. I'm sorry. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. I'm just going to stop there for a second. I want to look at one very important thing before we come to the presence of God. You know, Ben was talking about how uh, the next series is, is going to be on prayer. I'm just going to move this out of the way. It's very uh, distracting to me. And if I'm distracted, you're distracted. We're all distracted. It's just not good. Um, so he, he talked about coming to the presence of God in, in prayer. Uh, and we see Moses right here coming to the presence of God. And before Moses could go too far, he was instructed to take off his shoes because God said, this is holy ground. 
But I want us to understand one very important thing. The ground is not holy because the ground is holy. The ground is holy because it is the presence of God that he is coming in front. So whenever we talk about coming to the presence of God, it's not like coming to vertical church, you're coming to a more holy land than, than outside of these walls. It's not like there are, there are designated spots that are more holy than others. What we see all throughout the Old Testament, what we see in Jesus Christ is, is it's, not, it's not the land, it's not the building, it's the God that we come before. So as we continue on reading the name of God, let us understand that it is not this ground that it is holy, that it is the God who encompasses us that is holy. So let's go back to verse 7. It says, Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. And I have come down to deliver them out of the land of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. We're not going to be talking about any of these sites, guys. Don't worry. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I could go to the Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? I know we ask God that question a lot. Why me? He said, but I will be with you, and this shall be the sign of, for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Verse 13. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is your name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. Man, we just got done with a whole series about God answering in silence. How disappointing do you, like, do you think that might have been for Moses? Like, what's your name? I am. I was like, okay, okay, God. Like, I'm, I'm trying to give something to your people. Like, I, I, I need something from you. He says, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. The Lord, the God to Moses, oh, sorry, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob has appeared to me saying, I have observed you and what, you have, what have, has been done to you in Egypt, and I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land, skipping all those names, a land flowing with milk and honey. Man, Praise be to God that he hears the cries of his people and offers deliverance from their afflictions. So I, I told you guys we're going to be getting very deep into the passage today, and I, I meant it. So I, I could, I could, we could do a whole series on the name of God. Actually, like Ben said, David and Julie are doing a, a podcast on all the names of God. 
So we could literally do this until the day we die and not really understand fully. Um, but I, I want to give us some implications of the name of God for us this morning that we see here in the passage to help us better understand the God that we are coming before, the God who is holy, the God who is perfect. Uh, so the first implication that we have here is God is a self-sustaining source of energy. So the beginning of this passage, Moses comes before Bush, so he's, he's been wandering this land, not really wandering because he's been on this land for about 40 or so years, so he knows the land. He knows what's around. It's not like he... It's not like this area is new to him and it's, it's different. It's the same land he's been shepherding for years. But today he comes across this burning bush. And when he sees the bush, he sees that it is blazing. It is, it's not like some, some little fire. It is, a, it is a blazing fire on this bush. But upon inspection, he sees that this bush is not being consumed at all. You see, God is so intentional in everything he does. And I'm, I'm going to use a little bit of interpretive uh, leniency this morning. But I, I'm, I'm going to say that in that bush, God is revealing his own sustaining energy and power. You see, God is the flame that needs no sustenance. He needs nothing to keep his energy going. He needs nothing to sustain his own life. He is sustained in himself and by himself. See, a, a lot of times as, as, as Christ followers and uh, as, as church goers, we, we like to think that, that we are doing something that, that God needs of us. I, I, think, I think it makes us feel a little bit better like, oh, I, I, I serve, so God is a little happier today. Or, or I, I, I gave, so, so God can do a little bit more with, with, what, I, with what I gave. Uh, it, it's wood. It needs the fuel to keep going because when, it, when it, the nutrients start to run out, that fire changes to ember where it's still a little bit warm and it's, it's, it's still giving a little bit light, but it, it's, just, it's just not quite there. And eventually, as those last bit of nutrients run out, it gives way to ash. And that ash is blown away. It is washed away. God does not need nutrients because he is nutrient. He is power. He is energy. And because of that, we get to serve a God who does not rely on us because we are going to let him down. We do let him down on a daily basis. I got mad at three drivers on the way here. My anger would surely screw up God's glory if it was relying on me. God does not need us because he in himself is fully sustaining, fully capable because he is, I am. And he chooses to impart his glory in our obedience. Which brings us into the next bit of God and what we see in the name I am, he does not change. 
See, just like that fire who changes after the nutrients run out, God does not change because he is fully self-sustaining. And the glorious thing about that is we don't have to worry about him deciding to take away salvation, to take away his provision, to take away his glory, his goodness, and, and, and his promises for us. Anybody who is in a relationship or who is married understands that you have to be very careful sometimes what you say to your spouse because it could very easily change how the day goes. Uh, and I'm not, I'm the, this is not like a, a time to pick on my wife because I screw up more than she does. Um, but if, if I say something uh, that is just not very heartfelt, which happens every day, if I say something that's just not as nice, which happens every day, you know, she gets upset with me and then she gets upset, I get upset, and I play the victim. She is the victim, and it affects how we, how we raise our kids. It affects how we, how we treat other people outside the home, and it happens with friends. You know, you say something wrong to your friend, and all of a sudden, you guys aren't talking for 30 years, or you're at work. You do one thing wrong, and your boss, you know, comes down on you. You have to worry about getting fired. Like, there's a, there's a lot of fear in our imperfect relationships with each other. And because God is fully self-sustaining and because he does not change, we don't have to fear him taking his promises away from us because he relies on himself for those promises to be filled and not for us. And because we don't have to fear, we get to experiencing glory, his glory and his, his provision in any facet of life, in any circumstance that we face, knowing that our circumstances are not because he is mad that we did or did not do something, that these circumstances are because he is good and he is a loving father and there is reason for our pain and suffering and he hears our cries just like he heard the cries of the Israelites. But we'll get a little deeper than that in a, in a minute. But God does not change because he doesn't rely on our relationship to be who he is, because he is who he is. He is I am, and that is all he needs to be who he is. Praise God for that. Man, you guys would all be really messed up if it was relying on me. <laughs> i tell you right now. God is reality. Our next spot. God is reality. You see, to go even deeper, like, like I said, guys, we're, we're going deeper today. Because God does not change, because God is, is fully self-sustaining, we must, we must understand that it is because God himself is the very fabric of reality that we understand today. So there's, there's two words, and they're not going to be up here on the screen uh, because most likely you'll never look at your notes again, and that's okay. That's totally fine. Um, but there are two words. You guys have probably heard it, uh, objectivity and subjectivity. So a little bit of English lesson for, for those of you guys who are younger and still uh, in like an elementary school, middle school, high school, uh, and for those of you adults who forgot. Um, objectivity is understanding that reality is outside of ourselves, that means that there is a definitive truth and we can't change that truth. We, we can't do anything. So we, we, can, we can say we're changing reality. Like I can say 
those chairs are just a dark blue, but it doesn't change the color that, that it is. Objectivity is a definitive truth that cannot be changed by us. And subjectivity is reality, whatever we would like it to be. Another word thrown around is relativity. You know, what, what's good for you might not be good for me, but that, that's okay. Because, you know, we're, you know it's, it's the whole phrase, live your truth. We hear that a, a lot all the time. It, that's nothing new. People have been living the truth for years. That's why we have thousands of religions. That, that's why we have millions of people doing their own thing. That's why we have hundreds of different churches on the same street corner. You know, it's, that is, it is nothing new. That is not a new phrase. Just because it is being championed by culture does not mean that it has not been around for thousands of years. But we have to understand that when God says he is, I am, that he is very much saying that he is existence, he is reality, he is truth. And we can, we can say whatever we like to say God is. We can, we can look at Bible and say, well, it, it doesn't really mean that for me. But it, it, doesn't, it doesn't change that truth just because we don't agree with it. You know, I, so, I, so hear me when I say I really do love living in the South. But there are a few things I don't like living in the South. One of them is grits. The other one is, is I just had to throw it out there. I'm sorry. The other is the extreme heat on a yearly basis, as in from January to January, it's just way too hot. You know, snow should be at least seven to eight months throughout the year. Uh, if not, it's just disgusting. I sweat, I sweat just looking at the sun right now. So I prefer to be inside in the nice air conditioning, uh, in, in the nice shade, and I, I will look outside and be like, I'm not going out there. <laughs> you know, the, the heat is not affecting me in here. But just because I am in the shade, just because I am, uh, I, I am out of the heat does not, does not take away the power of the sun. And, you know, metaphorically, yes, Jesus is the sun. But I'm talking about the, the sun, you know, the, the star. You know, if, if just because I am, I am not in the, in the sunlight, just because I am not in the heat, does not change that the, the sunlight is there. It does not take away from the power of the sun just because I am hiding from it. Just because we like to create our own truth, and we all do it, you know, we, we all fall into the temptation of, well, this is better for me. You know, this, I, I'll, I'll let you believe what you want, but this is better for me. Just because we fall into that and hide in, in the shade of our, of our self-worth, Hiding from the truth of God, it does not change his truth. It does not diminish the power of God and his truth. All it does is puts us in a place where we are farther away from the light. Understanding that God is the light. Anytime we, we create our own truth, we are, we are going farther into the cave. And the farther you go, the farther you turn your back on the light the more comfortable you get in the dark and the more you go back. So understand this, just because we like to think that, you know, this world is for us and about us and whatever our truth is, is what we decide for ourselves. It does not diminish the truth that is the great I am. 
because his truth is eternal and our truth changes based on how we're feeling. So because of this, because we are not truth, because God is truth, we must conform to God. God doesn't conform to us. God doesn't, God doesn't to say, oh, well, Jeremy, he, he feels like church should be done this way, or he feels that, that I, I should be loving in, in this way, so let, let, me, let, let me do things his way. God doesn't do that. God, God doesn't, doesn't decide based on popularity. God doesn't change his mind based on what's, what's in in culture and what people want from him. God determines what is truth. God determines what is reality because he is truth and reality, and we must conform to that. So I had a, I had a best friend growing up uh, when I went off to, when I moved, eventually went off to Bible college at the same time, he was uh, starting rabbi school, and we would talk a lot, and I, I would ask him a, a lot of, of questions because, you know, he's being very versed in Old Testament scripture, like memorizing all these things and uh, just understanding that there, there are similarities uh, because God the Old Testament is also God of the New Testament, but in the New Testament is, is Jesus Christ, and he is our eternal hope, um, but they're, they're not at the point of... of accepting Jesus Christ as Savior. So I would just ask him a lot of questions. And uh, he actually, he, he told me something that just, that blew my mind. And just upon thinking about it more, it is very much a, a chosen reality for most people. He said, you know, as, as, as a rabbi, as, as, a, as, a, as a Jew, we don't have to agree with everything God says in, in the Old Testament. I was like, isn't that kind of counter, counteractive to what a, a rabbi is supposed to be teaching? Well, he says not at all. Like there's, there's of course, the um, Orthodox Jews who go to the extreme, he said, and just do everything line by line. Uh, but there's, there's a, a, greater, uh, a greater number of Jews who we, we have the freedom to choose what we like, what we uh, follow in scripture and what, what we don't. You know, so if, if, we, if we don't agree that, uh, that missions is uh, a necessity just like, you know, charity is a necessity, then we, 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 don't ha- we don't have to do it and we're okay. If we don't like this characteristic of God, that characteristic of God does not exist because it's, it, we, we have the freedom to choose whatever we want out of, out of scripture. And what, what that does is it, it, doesn't, it doesn't create freedom, it creates a prison of self where we start to create our own God because we are our own God and whatever we says, whatever we says, whatever we say goes. And the more we decide for ourselves, the farther we get away from what is truth and once again, the farther we get away from his light. So understand this, there are difficult passages of scripture that we must wrestle with until the day we die. There are difficult and almost impossible aspects of who God is that we must fight against until the day we die. Not fight against, but fight through. But understand even more 
that it is God himself who chooses to reveal himself, who chooses to give us clarity. He is the one that will reveal our understanding. He is the one that will reveal what is necessary for his glory and not our own. When we choose, when we choose self-truth over God's truth, you are your own God. But when we choose to face God for who he is, despite our own inefficiencies, despite our own inability to comprehend, we see God. And despite our failures, he is unchanging and unmoved. And the salvation that he gives us will not be taken away. So we must be conforming to God and that in that conformity, we have an assurance that God will not let us down. God is the source of his personality and power. You know, it, it, it might seem like I'm repeating these things a lot, but we, we must understand that all of these things are, are about to all come to a head. So his unneedingness, that's not a real word, his, his own self-sustaining source of energy, his, his, his ability to not change, him being reality, and the idea that we must conform to God is because that he is the source of his own personality and power, then it is owing to no one but himself that he is who he is. You see, what we see a, a lot in scripture and what we often do is when, when we don't understand something that God is doing or we don't understand uh, something in scripture, we, we question it. Uh, and if you're honest with yourself, probably 100% of everybody in this room at one point in their life has questioned God and, and his character and his, his working. And we, we go before God and, and say, why God? Why are you doing these things? Why, why does your love look this way and, and not this way? Why are you the way you are? Why, why can you not do these things? And, and, and why, like, why, why am I here? What is, what is the purpose of, of all these things? And the answer that God gave to Moses is the same answer he gives to us. And whenever we ask why, he says, I am. You know, he, he doesn't owe us an explanation because he is the explanation. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't owe it to us to, to like have, have us understand him completely because he is I am. You see, Abraham coming before God says, why me? Why, why are you choosing me for this? Don't you know what my life has been? For those of you guys who don't know what his life has been, he was pushed down the Nile River as a baby in a basket. Pretty sure there's crocodiles in the river. Picked up by the, the family of the king of Egypt. Live in that life for years uh, then he made a few mistakes, killed a few people, you know, was ostracized from the, you know, from the royal family, had to flee to the wilderness for 40 years, became a lowly shepherd, and 
and God was choosing him. I was actually having this conversation this morning with a couple of people. I was praying on the, on the way here and like just asking God, why me? Why, why do you choose me to stand in front of your people and proclaim a word when there are people far more worthy than myself who can do far more exceedingly than, than I can. And God doesn't give an explanation. He, just like for, for Moses, he didn't stand in front of Moses and say, you got this, man. Like, you're good. Like, you used to be royalty. Like, I, I've got faith in you. You can do better. Like, like, once again, live your truth, man. Like, if, if you feel that you are better, then you are better. Like, it, it, he didn't give Moses some pep talk. He didn't, he didn't say anything about Moses' character. He didn't say anything about Moses at all. He said, I am who I am. And he also said, but I will be with you. And that is what he gave to Moses, and that is what he gives to us. He doesn't give us anything that says we are something and that we've got the ability to accurately proclaim the word, whether it be on stage or it be in front of a person in your office, whether it be in front of the person on the street of the city. He doesn't give anything that says you are worthy, you are capable, you have the ability. But what he does give us is himself. And what he does give us is an explanation of who he is, and that is, I am. And he promises, once again, God does not change his promise based on our ability. He does not change his promise based on what we feel for that day. His promise is fulfilled in himself, and he promises that he will be with us. So regardless of your ability, regardless of your past, regardless of who you think you are, you are redeemed in Jesus Christ. You are a son and daughter of the Most High God and know that because that he has chosen to rescue you, because there is nothing that you have added to your salvation, he will bring you to the point of eternity and everlasting life in him and that there is nothing that we can do to take that away. Praise God because I would lose it on a daily basis. He is the reason, he is the explanation, because he is, he is, I am. And that is all we need when we truly look at God and understand that regardless of who we are, he is. And we must grapple with the next implication that God exists. The name I am reveals not who he is, but what he is. From before time began to the time that time ends, God exists. He exists outside of us. He exists in us and through us. He exists around us. He is existence. He is much more than just reality. He is existence. We like to think of God as his characteristics a lot, but I'm going to venture to say that that is so incomplete when we understand it is not his character and it is very existence that we are singing about and praying about. The song that, that we sang earlier, God, you are so good, is not what he does. It is who he is. He is good. He is grace. He is mercy. And all these things flow from him, not because, uh, not because he's 
got these things, but because he is, he, he is these things. It is a tough thing for a, a lot of people who claim the name of Christianity to come in front of. You see, many people, they, they believe in God. You know, there, there's, there's, there's many people, millions of people who express belief in God or, or a God or, or God's, but he is not priority in their life. Um, so a little bit of science lesson from middle school. Uh, does anybody know what the mitochondria of the cell is? It's the powerhouse, right? The powerhouse of the cell. Did you guys get that question right on the test? Yeah? Do you guys talk about it on a daily basis? We do the same thing for God. You see, we, we study something for a test, and then once that test is done, we've, we forget. We forget the very existence of God until it is, until it is beneficial for us. Although it is always beneficial for us, we, we use God as a means of getting us past a certain test, whether it be, you know, God, I pray for this promotion or or, or God, I, I, I pray that, you know, this person stops coming against me and my family. Or, or, or God, I, I pray for this thing. And then once that thing happens, we go about our lives. You know, just like that mitochondria of the cell, it still exists. It's still there. It is very much the, it, it is a building block of who we are. But after that test, we care nothing about it. Once our test is done and we have used God for what we think we need him for, we, we forget about him. He, he is no longer a priority um, in our lives. So there's, there's, a, there's a few different denials of God. Uh, one of them, which I would venture to say most people in here uh, do not fall under, which is the atheistic denial of God. That's the denial of God's existence altogether. Uh, most of us believe that there, there is God. But I, I would say most people who claim the name of Jesus fall under this second category of denial. Um, I'm going to give you a little Latin word. Once again, it's not up there because you're going to forget it in 30 seconds, and that's okay. Uh, it is quod providentium. I had to look it up on Google how to pronounce it. I'm probably still wrong. But that is the denial into his in inspection or care of things in the world which bound him into the heavens. And what that's saying is denial of his providence in our life, denial of his care in our lives. So we, we know God exists, but he's just up there in heaven. We, we deny what, what he is doing on a daily basis. And not saying that we don't think he can, but we don't care if he does. We don't care what he is doing. We don't care who he is because we don't feel like it's beneficial for that, for that time in our lives. And I'm going to say that is more dangerous to the church, to the Christ follower, than all-out all denial of his existence. Because what that says is you know there's a God, you know there's, there's a being who is over all things, but you don't care that there is a being. 
it would be better for my kids to never know I existed than to know I existed and run away from me and, and never speak to me again. Because one, you, you, cannot, you cannot blame them to a point because they never knew, but the other, they chose to run away. They chose to ignore. What are you choosing for your life right now? Are you choosing to know God and prioritize God above all things, or are you choosing to use God to pass a test and then after that run in the opposite direction? I had a conversation with someone who falls into the first category of atheist. Uh, he, he's a new uh, employee at, at where I work, and uh, we just had a conversation just about the existence of God. And he, he denies it. He doesn't think there's, there's proof, and that's fine. I, I, I gave him good words, but I also told him it's going to be God that reveals himself that is going to bring him salvation. But we did talk about Christ followers, and one thing that really, really makes him mad is, is someone, he gave an example of someone on his football team who never once spoke of the name of Jesus, then the next day came with a, like a full like biblical sleeve tattoo, and he was like, I never knew that person was a Christian. And he's like, I see that all the time, where these people randomly say they're Christians, but they don't live like they are. And this is someone who denies the existence of God saying these things. So harmful to his walk that he denies the existence because those who claim Jesus Christ live as if Jesus Christ does not exist. Where do you fall in this category? And to go one step further is not just the denial of his providence, but when we choose to chase after our lusts, when we choose to chase after our sinful desires, that is us providing for ourselves what God can only provide perfectly. You see, when we choose to, to look at those pictures online or when we, when we choose to chase after money or, or fame, or when we choose to chase after relationships and put God on the back burner, that is us saying that, God, you are not able to fulfill me in these ways. You are not able to provide for me in these ways. So I'm going to go after these things myself, and I'll catch up with you later. You see, we, we don't outright say, oh, we're denying that God provides. But what we are saying in our actions is I'm providing for myself because I don't feel like God can. That is denial of his providence, and that is denial of the very essence of who God is because God's provision is not a characteristic. It is his existence that we are denying. So where are you in this? Are you... Are you denying and chasing after self? Are you chasing after your own truth because you think God's truth is not good enough? Are you chasing after your own desires because you don't think God is providing for you? Or are you just outright denying him altogether? Or is God the head of your life and he is being magnified through your actions, through your words, through your prayer, through everything that you are? Where do you stand and I fear, and I, I pray this is not the case for our church, um, but we see it in church as a whole that there are millions of people who 
claim the belief of God who are destined for eternity in hell. You know, they're, they're very active in church. They do things the right way. And, you know, they, they, they'll even go as far as talking about God with, with others. But God is still not the priority. You know, maybe they're using church as a means of getting in their, their relationships. Or, or maybe they're using, you know, serving others as a means of fulfilling, you know, them making them feel good about themselves or or whatever's going in on their heart, millions of people. You know, Christ gave the example of, you know, at the, at the day of judgment, these people who are crying out to, to God and, and saying, God, I, I've done all of these things. I've done all these things for you in your name. And God said, be gone, I never knew you. That's not because their actions were not good enough, but because their heart was for self and not for him. You see, God does not change his mind based on our ability to serve him, but he has set the truth that if we deny self and follow after him, then we see his glory, then we see salvation because it is all him and not ourselves that we can be saved. And it's a scary thing, and there are millions of people, guys, all around us who will go through life thinking they're okay. They will even fool us. And at the day of judgment, face eternity separate from the presence and glory of God. But there's hope. The very last implication that we've got in the name of God is that God himself, this this God who is existence himself, who is reality, who does not change, who needs nothing from us. He has drawn near to us in Jesus Christ. So if you guys will open up to John chapter 8, open up to uh, verse 48. It's the fourth book in the New Testament. John 8, 48 through 58. This is Jesus talking to some religiously right people. He says, the Jews answered him, are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jew said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who died, and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him, I know him. If I were to say, 
that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old and you have seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. The glory of God and his fullness and in his existence manifested in the name of Jesus Christ. That we don't have to fear our inabilities. We don't have to fear that our sin will keep us away from God and his presence. You see, going back to the burning bush, God chose Moses as the intercessor for his people. But even as Moses, the intercessor, the, God, the man who God chose to lead his people from captivity, to lead his people to know the very name and essence of God, was unworthy to step in the presence of God. Even he had to take off his shoes because the ground was holy, because God is holy. But even greater than Moses, we have Jesus Christ, who not only is worthy of of the presence of God. He is the presence of God. And the fact that we don't have to worry about a man who is sinful because the man who interceded for us is God and he is the great I am. That we can put our full assurance in that perfect relationship in our Savior and understands this because Jesus is I am, we have full assurance in all aspects of our lives. You know, some people in here might be going through a difficult job situation and you just, you're, you're, you're an unable to you provide for your family. Understand that, that God is I am. You might be struggling in your relationship and have, 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 cannot figure out how to please your spouse and cannot figure out how to get along with your spouse and your relationship with your kids is suffering because because all these emotions are being flared up. Understand that God is I am. You see, you might be... You might be in a point in your life where, you know, you got a lot of big things going on and, and you, you got a lot of uh, just uh, unknown quest, like, an- answers to questions that you have. And a lot, a lot of life is, is overwhelming you and you're, you're starting to, to fall back into yourself and, and, and close up. Understand that Jesus Christ, that God is I am. And we have full assurance, we have full ability because of the one who is able, because the one who is, I am. The one who will never disregard us because of who we are, but we are fully regarded because of who he is. So let's pray. God, thank you. I I cannot stand here and I cannot I cannot stand here and pretend to know all that you are 
I cannot stand here and pretend to say I've got all the answers for all the questions. I can't stand here and say that I have fully satisfied the longing to know who you are. But God, we've got free access to you because of Jesus Christ. That we don't need to go to anybody else except for the one who is to be fully fulfilled, to be fully satisfied. And God, there's a lot of life that I don't know. There's a lot of life that I cannot explain. There's a lot of pain and and agony. But our pain does not define who you are. Who you are defines how we look at our pain. Who you are defines how we look at our sin, how we look at our relationships, how we look at our life. So my prayer for your people, God, in this place is that we stop trying to create our own God. We stop trying to fulfill our own lives and fully rest in who you are. I pray that every time we speak the name of God, every time we sing about the name of God, that it is with this in mind that we do it that it is more than just a a superficial name. It is more than a title. It is your existence. And God, I pray that as we go forth, that we have full assurance, full assurance in who you are, full assurance in who Jesus Christ is, that our pain, our suffering, our inabilities, our sins do not mask what you have already done on the cross. God, you are good. You are faithful. You are mercy. You are triumph. You are victory. You are are peace. You are rest. You are hope. You are escape. Not because you have these things, but because you are these things. And And everything else in this world must point to your glory. So God, give us strength because you are strength. Give us hope because you are hope. And as we go beyond these doors, I pray that you are glorified in everything that we do through your strength and hope. I love you, God. In your name I pray. Amen.